This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is true and that is powerful. Father, whatever we have gone through in the past week, some could be mundane, some could be traumatic. That God, as we gather together now to open up your word, we pray, God, that your word will set our eyes straight to you and strengthen our feeble hands and strengthen our weak hearts so that we may respond rightly to you in this short life you've given us, that we may glorify you in all that we do. For Christ's glory we pray. Amen. Now, doing life as a church is complicated. And having countless denominations can be really confusing for non-Christians who are always wonder why are there so many different kinds of Christians. Now, I had an eye-opening experience years back when I moved from a local traditional Chinese church here to serving in an international church overseas that is denominational, I became aware when I arrived there of the many differences that Christians have from their different backgrounds and denominations. Now, baptism was practiced differently as with the Lord's Supper. And I started reading liturgies and prayer books that an independent church never had. Now, my best friend at the time came from a Matoma church in India. And his experience was nothing short of amazement, uh, if not more than I had. Now, I, well, I've never seen a pastor when I was in Singapore, in my tradition, wearing a t-shirt and preaching in a pulpit. He had never, while praising the Lord, standing next to an Aussie in singlet and no shoes on summer. To him, he was brought up with Sunday's best. And that was the Sunday best next to him. And of course, over the years, we started to have Christians coming from Korea, then Africa, Christians from China, sometimes South America, students from the same country but varied denominations, all gathering in this international church. And imagine you come along, carrying your burden or your tradition, looking in and saying, oh, what is this that they are doing? Some of the practices, you find them necessary. Others, you find them overly conservative. How would you respond? Doing life as a church with God's people can be complicated. How should Christians with different traditions and practices live together? And what about traditions that some hold that you think is not necessary at all? Well, welcome to Romans 14, because in today's passage, Paul speaks to Christians in Rome whose different backgrounds and convictions have led them to hold different practices from each other. Practices that were held dearly by some were despised by others. And meanwhile, the freedom that some practices were seen as a lack of commitment by the other group. They all confess they are sinners, they all believe that Jesus is Lord. But when it comes to disputable matters, they are divided. 
Well, Romans 14 deals with issues that are significantly different from ours in our time, but nevertheless, we have our fair share of Christians' differences in churches and denominations. And so what Paul has to say for the Roman Christians is very relevant to us today. How should we respond to disputable practices that we may disagree on? So if you have your bulletin opened or your Bible, um, if not, open it up. You'll be great as we dig into Paul's exaltation to the Roman Christians and to us. In fact, this is how Paul begins, Romans 14. Let me read verse 1 for you. Accept accept the ones whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Let me read that again. Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Now I want you to step into Romans, uh, in Rome with me, in Romans 14. You can close your eyes, but don't snore, so that I know that you're just trying to imagine with me. Imagine uh, that you're here with Paul in Rome, and the first century church, how does it look like? Okay, this is uh, the Roman church, imagine with me. It's not homogeneous, not everyone looks the same, behaves the same, eats the same. There were the Jews, there were the Gentiles, They were gathered there regularly in church, learning about God and doing life together. But they are quite different. Among the Jews, perhaps some of them are not that Jewish. They do not keep all their Jewish heritage. They are not that fervent until they came to know the Lord Jesus. And now they are here. But for the most part, most Jews in that gathering were fervent Old Testament uh, tradition holders. They were taught and they, grew up, and they grew up with Old Testament traditions and they keep to it. They were abstained from certain food that were considered unclean. And as kosher meat may not always be available in Rome, remember they were, ex- they, were kicked away, they, they were kicked out of Rome for a period of time and now they are back. Kosher meat may not always be that available. So some Jews would rather be vegetarians like the heroes of old, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they would rather be vegetarians than to eat non-kosher food because they could not eat non-kosher food in faith. Meanwhile, you have the Gentiles. Again, Gentiles has a wide range of Gentiles. Some, perhaps, minorities might already be drawn to Jewish cultures. They might have practiced some Jewish traditions and they became Christians. But for the most part, most of the Gentiles would never have practiced any of the Old Testament food laws or festivals. They came in as they were and they became Christians. So there they have Jews and Gentiles and a bit of a mix of in-between doing life together. Church gets complicated. And Paul begins today's passage looking at the Gentile Christians who sees their Jewish brothers and sisters as weak in faith because they couldn't let go of their Jewish traditions. And Paul speaks to them, except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. Look at the Gentile Christians who think the Jews are weaker. He says, do not quarrel with them. And then he looks at the Jews, and there you are, the Jews, when they practice this, they don't actually think that they are weak. They actually think they are pious. They are honouring God. In fact, they see no contradiction for a Jew at the time in that group 
why can't I continue my traditions to honor God? Because I fully believe in Jesus. I believe that it is by faith alone and through Christ alone that I'm saved. But the Bible doesn't say that I should kick myself out of my Jewishness. Because I will honor God the way that I have been. This is the way that I've been brought up. My mother has done that. My grandmother has done that. The heroes of old have been faithful to God. So they could not in good faith eat and drink like godless pagans that they were always taught to be different from. So because of this, the Jews and the Gentiles, they are not seeing eye to eye. After Sunday service, they will not have a eat with your church family together. Or if they do, they will have two big tables. The Jews will be setting themselves there eating their vegetarian meals. Offended by the Gentiles who are gathering there eating the delicacy of well-cooked pork knuckles with their fingers who looks back at the Jews in contempt of their weak faith of eating vegetables. And to this setting, Paul says that words, except the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. Because now Paul says this, he acknowledged, indeed the Gentiles, the Gentiles are not weak because they are rightly exercising their freedom in Christ. They are not restricted and they have their freedom, and they can enjoy it. Just as Jesus had told Apostle Peter, Peter was struggling in a vision when Jesus says, take and eat, take and eat. And he says, I can't eat this. And Jesus says, nothing that I've made is unclean. All food are edible from that point. So they are exercising rightly their faith. Yet Paul warns these Gentiles that their freedom in Christ is not a license to argue and quarrel with their Jewish brothers and sisters. So these traditions, as with all disputable traditions, they are neither spiritually nor morally in themse- wrong in themselves. And the Bible has neither insisted nor restricted the traditions. So the Gentile Christians, they are called to be loving to the Jewish Christians. And to make his point, Paul gives three reasons or three principles that we should consider why Christians, we must not quarrel over disputable matters with each other, but rather to lovingly accept each other. There are three reasons there. The first one is from verse 2 to 3. And it's because whether weak or strong in faith, they are accepted by God. Let me read verse 2 and verse 3 for us. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. So while the Gentile Jews' faith, the Gentile Christians' faith uh, allows them to eat whatever they like, they must not treat the Jewish Christians with contempt when they could not in good faith do the same thing as them. Because the Jews, you have to consider your Jewish brothers, they grew up rejecting ritually unclean food. The smell of pork is utterly repulsive to them. They found it impossible to sit next to a a Gentile Christian who is savoring pork knuckles uh, as an enjoyment of fellowship. And to add to that, here's the background. Many of the Jews have considered boundary markers such as food uh, practices 
and festivals as a distinction for them. And especially so because 200 years before this letter was written, in the Maccabean times, there was a terrible thing that happened. That the, Greek, the, the, the Greeks came in and they devastated, they killed and murdered a lot of the Jews. In fact, the king, King Antiochus IV, he did this terrible thing that is recorded. He, he, he sacrificed a pig to Zeus on the altar in Jerusalem temple. That is something that never leaves the mind of a Jew. And because of that scenario, boundary markers are not just about um, obedience. Boundary markers sets them apart from those who defile God and God's people. So in that background, that is the Jews who have chosen. They do not want to eat the way that the Gentiles do. And likewise, the Jewish Christians, Paul turns to them that they also must not judge the Christians, the Gentile Christians, who just freely eat whatever they like, the way that they ate before they become Christians. So you see, there is some contention there, and it's not easy to solve. The reason, but Paul brings them back, that neither should treat each other with contempt or judgment, is that because both of them have already put their faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior, and both have been accepted by God, and whom God has accepted, let no one condemns. The only undisputable thing among them is that they are saved by grace. Romans 12.1 is by the mercy, sure mercy of God, that they are saved. That's the first reason. Now Paul brings in the second reason why we should be accepting rather than to be disputing or condemning each other is that each is a servant to God. Look at verse 4 as we uh, read it, as I read it for you. Paul says, Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master or Lord, that servant stand or fall. They will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. So Paul now, he says to the Christians, particularly the Jews, he says to them that they too are not to judge those who exercise freedom on these disputable matters because we are not the masters of our brothers or our sisters. We are all recipients of God's mercy. And look at verse 5. You know, the Jews, they may consider one day more sacred or better than another. Perhaps they consider Passover, Sabbath or other festivals as more important and sacred. And meanwhile, the Gentiles, they consider every day alike. You know, whichever conviction they have, each of them should be fully convinced what is right in their own mind? And the reason is because, verse 6, whoever regards one day as special, does it to the Lord. And going back to eating meat, Paul continues, the Gentiles who eat meat, what do they do? They eat meat, they does it to the Lord. And it's evidence that they are doing the eating of meat to the Lord because they give thanks as they eat the meat. Say, thank God for the pork knuckles. Let's feast on what God has given us. They gave thanks to God and they did it to the Lord. And for the Jews who abstain from all the meat and just eat vegetables, what did they do? They also does it to the Lord because again it is evidence that they gave thanks to God for what they are eating. So do you see that they are both doing different things that they disagree but they are actually doing it to 
the Lord and giving thanks to God. So the diverse decisions of both the Jews and the Gentiles in this environment, they are permissible according to Paul because they are both done to honor the Lord. And as they make their decisions, they're actually doing it in response, not to each other, they're actually responding to their master. The servant is responding to the master, to the Lord Jesus Christ. They are done for God's glory. And clearly, Paul, as he carries on, he is speaking to them, but also to all Christians. Verse 7 and 8, that our lives and our deaths are really not our own, because we live and die under the Lordship of Christ Jesus, for whom we belong. Verse 8, look at it. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. So whatever we live, so whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So dear friends, as I want to pause here, how about you and me? Are we living as people who belong to the Lord? Do we see Christians who may have different practices as also those who belong to the Lord? That we are not more superior in any way but we both belong to the Lord. Are there ways that we may have show contempt or judge another Christian when the practices are different? And these practices are disputable matters. That is, these practices, if we are different from another brother or sister, they are not morally or spiritually wrong in of itself. They are different. Principles that the Bible does not always give specific instructions. Let's think of some examples as we think about our own environment. For example, could we accept a different tradition of service, a different liturgy, a different style of songs? Perhaps when you go for a holiday to another church elsewhere, they do it very differently. And when you start thinking, ah, this is better than my church, or ah, my church is better than their church, because we are different. Would we fall into that temptation? Or could we freely accept People amongst us, when we sing, to be able to praise the Lord raising their hands. Will we say, go ahead, praise the Lord raising your hands? Or will we feel restricted when we go to a place where everyone's raising hands? And I don't really want to raise my hands, but I feel that I must raise my hands, or I'll be judged as less holy. What about, what about the approach when we conduct baptism? How about the use of a golden basin, which I've seen in the Orthodox churches, this huge basin. is back-breaking if you are the priest, or so-called a minister, because you carry them and put them in. And carry. How about a golden basin? Or immersion pool that I grew up with for a long time. Or sprinkling of water that we do in BTPC. Would that cause us to think differently of each other? Or for the matter of fact, the Lord's Supper will be every week, every month, once a year, or infrequent in some churches because they insist that they need an ordained minister before they can have the Lord's Supper. Will we say, why do you have to do that? Or will we be accepting of their practices? How about juice or wine? Communal cup, shed, individual cups that we use? Homemade bread without yeast, which some churches do. How about NTUC bread that you buy last minute? Would it be alright to have paintings of apostles with halos over their heads splashed across the church if we do not worship them? 
Will we be alright with that? Or festivals, will we choose to accept churches that have plenty of festivals? Or will we look with awkwardness a church that says we don't celebrate Christmas because the Bible never says so? Will it be alright to have a three hour sermon instead of a 30 minute one? <laughs> I saw a contempt there on my left. The list goes on. Right? We may not be in the same situation as the Jewish or Gentile Christians in Rome because they were complicated by the transition from Old Testament to New Testament. But nevertheless, we will face disputable differences in churches with different Christians at different places. Are we careful not to place judgment on another brother and sister saved by the Lord who comes and gather with us or we go and gather with them? Will we warmly welcome and accept them because God has already accepted them and what they have compelled to practice are done to the Lord? Perhaps to raise their hands to sing songs to God or to kneel when taking the Lord's Supper. Or be free to read a particular Bible translation. We may not get used to it, but will we be alright and be accepting of all the differences? Will we be quick to dispute practices that other Christians or churches do for the Lord? Which we do not because in our freedom we think that these are no longer necessary. Or will we speak with grace and receive each other? As brothers and sisters. Now, Paul says we must remember that we are not masters of each other, but we belong to the Lord. Look at verse 9. He says, For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So Jesus died, raised to life, not to save us so that we can dispute and judge each other. He died and raised to life so that we can call him Lord. And he is the Lord of the dead and of the living. And so here's the important truth that is equally true for the Jewish and Gentile Christians in Romans and in Rome, as well for you and me and in Singapore. And this is important truth that we should be careful not to condemn or look down at the servants of Christ, which are Christians, on the pretext of having stronger or weaker faith on disputable matters. Let me say that again. Let me say that again. We should be careful not to condemn or look down at the servants of the Lord Jesus, meaning Christians, on the pretext of stronger or weaker faith over disputable matters. And to round it off, Paul gives the third principle or reason for not condemning or judging each other over disputable matters. And that is found in verse 10 to verse verse 10 to verse 12. And to the Jews and Gentile Christians, Paul now begins to rebuke their action and he says this, look at verse 10. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Now the third reason comes why Christians must accept each other and not quarrel over disputable matters. It's a sobering reality that on the final day, all of us are going to stand before God's judgment seat. And what we think and say about the other Christians will make not a single difference to the way God judges. 
because he doesn't need additional witnesses when he judged those whom Christ had died for. But ironically, what we have said against our brothers and sisters are things that the Lord will also see and hear. And like everyone else, we will have to stand to give account of ourselves before God. And on that judgment day, it will all be the same for us. That is by the sheer mercy of God, whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're strong in faith or weak in faith, that you will be brought into the kingdom of God. Listen to this as Paul says, verse 11, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. We'll all be on the same level on the judgment throne. Whether we are strong in faith or weak in faith, it will be by grace and mercy that we'll enter. So judgment is another reason why we should be careful not to show contempt of each other on disputable matters. So now, as Paul has carried on, he has established why we should accept each other rather than to show contempt and judgment over disputable matters. He now moves on to further describe how we can be proactive in expressing our acceptance of each other. And here we come to the next section from verses 13 to 23. Now, if you have a bulletin by this time, it would be great to take a look at the outline, which will help you to see how Paul continues his persuasion. Um, in, in some way, the passage is like a three-layered sandwich. I put it there for you. On the outer layer, verse 13 and 14, and at the end, 22, 23, Paul talks about conscience. On the inner layer, from 15, 16, and 19 to 21, Paul builds out on love. And right in the middle, the meat. Verse 17, 18, Paul drives the point on the kingdom of God. So there's conscience he's dealing with, there's love he's dealing with, and there's a kingdom of God that we're looking into. So roughly, uh, I I put it this way to uh, think about for the rest of today's talk. And I want to think about the outer layer phrase on, on conscience. So let me read verse 13 and 14 for us. Verse 13 says, Therefore let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind, that is decide in your mind, not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or a sister. And I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Now as Paul speaks about not causing others to stumble, listen, that he actually reveals what he thinks about food. He actually thinks in this whole issue about the food tradition, that he's convinced that actually all food can be eaten. He's actually on the side of the strong. Verse 14. But he's also aware that some of the church, people in the, people in the church are still convinced some of the food they should not eat and they could not eat in their own conviction and of good conscience. And because Paul has made up his mind not to stumble the weaker Christian, he will not insist, even though he agrees, but he will not insist that the Jews must give up their practices. And why so? And the reason is this, in verse 14b, look at it. Paul gives the reason clearly. He says, because if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. What Paul means is this, if the weak in faith, that is the Jewish Christians, if they have not yet internalized the truth that Christ is sufficiently 
Christ has fulfilled the, the food laws. And they have not been confused. And against their conscience, they're being pressured by the, by the brothers and sisters that they eat the barbecue pork that they trust in their mouth. They chew it up and they swallow it up. They're going against their conscience. And Paul says, anyone who does that against their own conscience, they will not be able to give thanks to God for that. To the Jews who are being forced to stuff up the meat in their mouth against their conscience, they will not be able to give thanks to God for that. Now the Jewish laws, it doesn't affect most of us, if not all of us. We, we eat what we want, except our doctors tell us not to. But the implication is nevertheless clear, actually for you and me, that we should not stumble another brother or sister against their conscience even if the act itself is permissible. It goes in many options. For example, you know, we know the law has commanded Christians to be baptized. We also know baptism doesn't save us because salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone. Will we be able to agree and disagree on the mode of baptism? Or if someone comes in along the way and says, I really want to be baptized this way because that's all I knew and that's how I was in my country. Will we be say, bad luck, weak faith? Or will we accept them? Because by doing the other way, on their actual baptism, they'll be thinking, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? And they can't even confess properly their profession that Jesus is Lord. For the sake of their faith, will we accept them the way they are? Paul warns the Christians not to stumble other Christians to act against their conscience. But we do the same. Perhaps a brother or sister finds that a Christian should not drink alcohol. Will we stuff a beer right in their face and say, and you should drink it to grow your faith? Or will we be too quickly to disapprove when we see a Christian smoking outside? But flip back to your Bible to say what is wrong with that. Or perhaps we'll disapprove of people doing various dance when they're singing, although it may be distracting to you. Or insist that those who observe strict Sabbath, that you should come and kick soccer with us on Sunday. Weak faith. Or tease those who dress too formally, or those who put a veil when they come to church. Look at them as if they're awkward, weird Christians. Will we demand others to exercise their freedom in Christ at the expense of their conscience to give thanks to God when they serve the Lord, their Master? Will our judgmental commands stumble another Christian as they seek to obey Christ? Now how should we care for the conscience of Christians on such disputable matters? Look at the last two verses, 22 to 23. Paul says, so whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubt is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So those who consider themselves strong and have freedom are not to make a public scene of their conviction, be it food or festival or traditional dressings, no, whatever you and I believe about disputable things, let us keep it between us and God. 
if you will cause stumbling of others. Be loving without causing others to stumble. Because if a Christian believes in his conscience that something dishonors Jesus and feels pressured to do it, you have actually caused that person to sin against God. Because they are acting out of doubt in their actions and not out of faith. So never pressure other Christians to do something unless they are convinced in their mind that they are honoring Jesus in doing so. These are undisputable matters. You know, as we care for each other's conscience, Paul continues that we are to act in love towards them. If our freedom causes others to be destroyed, Paul says, consider restraining your freedom. Not just keep quiet, but restrain your freedom for the sake of others. Look at verse 15 and 16. Paul says in this 15 and 16 that the Gentile Christians' freedom to eat anything should not cause distress and destroy the faith of the Jewish Christians whom Christ died for. Look at verse 16. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. What Paul means is that do not let the weaker Christian interpret the freedom that the stronger Christian exercise without love as something that's evil. Do not exercise your freedom in a way that a weaker brother or sister looks at it and says, Oh God, is that sinning against you? Christians' goal is to build up and not to tear down. And look at verse 19, 20 and 21. I'll, I'll read that three verses for us. Verse 19. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So in view of God's mercy on both the Jews and the Gentile Christians, Paul calls the stronger Gentile Christian, restrain your freedom from eating meat, drinking wine, doing anything else, for the faith of your weaker brother and sister. So in practical terms, Gentile brothers, don't eat your bakwa and drink your champagne in front of your Jewish brother after church so that you can have a good and edifying conversation with them. Because if you are eating a bakwa and drinking a champagne, they are sitting in front of you, breathing the smell of pork and alcohol on their face. They are struggling with their faith while having an edifying talk with you. So Paul says, for their sake, restrain your freedom when you are with them, so that you can edify them. That is love. In an Anglican church that I was at, they use real wine for communion, but they always offer juice as well because there might be recovering alcoholics. There might be younger Christians who might want to be there on any particular Sunday. And I remember when I was serving in a very casual Aussie church, I had the freedom to preach in t-shirt and jeans and flip-flops because the church never saw that pastors are any different from each other in terms of um, holiness or whatever and after all Jesus wear sandals so what's wrong with the pastor wearing one but on the other hand at the traditional Asian church just a few suburbs where I was they view formality in the gathering of God's people with great seriousness now, the dress code doesn't affect salvation but observance is crucial for their faith for them that is Sunday best 
and he would stumble them to see a pastor preaching God's word, wearing t-shirts and sandals and bermudas in their church at their pulpit, even though some of them do wear it. But if the pastor wear it, they'll be thinking about the clothes for the whole 30 minutes that he's preaching. And for that church, I always have ready in my hand a suit. My tie and my shirt is always on in the building, even on the hottest day of Aussie summer. For their sake. Paul says, verse 19, Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. We have a duty, brothers and sisters, to love each other. We have a continual depth of love for each other and for neighbors, to build up and not to destroy, to edify and not to stumble. For we are not saved from the judgment of God for the judgment of our brothers and sisters. We are saved from the judgment of God for the kingdom of God. And here we come to the last two verses that we will look at today, verse 17 and 18. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Now, dear brothers and sisters, we are not called to squander our freedom in Christ on our living for ourselves. But rather we are saved and called to live a life of righteousness and of peace and of joy. No, we do not show the world Christ by displaying freedom. We show the world Christ by displaying love. Let me say that again. We do not display Christ to the world by showing our Christian freedom. We display Christ to the world by showing love where mismatched people will accept each other for who we are. In this way, we display God's righteousness and peace and joy. As Christians, community do life together. Complicated, but together. And this is not only pleasing to God, but it's pleasing to each other who are part of the kingdom of God. So, brothers and sisters, the Bible tells us there's this one man. One man who has all the freedom. He gave up his rightful freedom. He has all the glory. He gave up his rightful glory. He has all the freedom to judge, but he loves his enemies. Those who are bruised, he doesn't break. Those who are weak, he accepts them. Those who are lost, he calls them his sheep. He accepts all who trust in him without contempt. He calls them his own. He invites them into his own kingdom. That man we know, Lord Jesus Christ. The display of God's love when Christ restricted his own freedom for us. Now, dear brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy for all of us, should we be encouraged by Paul's words to live a life as a pleasing sacrifice to him that will accept each other without quarreling on disputable matters, but to display love, that we take care not to stumble others when we exercise freedom, but we will rather restrain freedom to build them up. When we have given freedom, but we are called to display love. That's an amazing thing. God has given us freedom, but it's called us to display love. So that by our love for each other, we make visible the invisible God. We unite the impossible mismatch that reveals the mercy of God that God has provided for us. Let us make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Let's pray.
Our Father, we thank you for Romans 14. That indeed, in Christ we have so much freedom, but yet we are called to display love. Help us to display love, Father, when we are tempted to argue, we are tempted to judge, and we are tempted to have contempt on disputable matters. Help us to display love by constraining our freedom because Christ has done that for us. Pray all this so that we may be true and worthy sacrifice to you who have given us the mercy we do not deserve. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.